0: that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes, super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, uplevel your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision making. I'm Chani Wilchanski. I'm a mom of four under ten, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to the Schools of Excellence podcast. Today's interview is an exciting one, and for those of you that have followed me for a long time, uh, you've probably seen an interview that I did with Simon Sinek many, many years ago. This is back in 2019. Well, actually, we did the interview in 2017, and then we shared the conversation in 2019, and I'm resharing it here because the conversation is timeless and so relevant in today's environment. So I interviewed Simon back when I did a huge online seminar, interviewed some incredible speakers and authors. And in our conversation today, we really talk about the why behind being a school leader. We talk about how when we go in and we observe children and we go in and have conversations with our staff, we really have to look at how are we creating culture? How are we creating an environment for our people to thrive, for our people to just really be their best selves? And Simon shares with us his 360 review that he does inside of his organization. And since then, a lot of our clients inside of our membership are using this 360 review. He talks about how he created something in his company called the Aspen Award, which you'll have to listen to today's episode to find out about that. We talk about one of the most important questions that he asks his employees and his team and how can he be a better leader, but that's not the question. The question he asked is phrased so powerfully, but the end result is really about you being a better leader. So we talk about that in the conversation. That's a little bit deeper. And again, this is an hour conversation. Um, So really take the time to listen to it. Feel free to pass pause. Um, We talk about how to talk to kids and the books that he recommends all school leaders should be listening to. We give a lot of reference to being a student of leadership. He references Nelson Mandela inside of this conversation and how to be comfortable inside of rooms that you feel like you don't belong in. So just this and so much more. There's so much that we delve into. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. I'm excited to bring it back here onto the podcast for you to just really get a different perspective of leadership. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Simon Sinek.
1: So I want to get started with a lot of what you talk about in um, some of your books and specifically in Leaders Eat Last, you speak a lot about what it is to be a leader and what it takes to actually lead an organization, whether it's a company or school, it doesn't matter. There's these principles of what it takes to actually be a leader. And so so I want to get started with unpacking the why because the first line of defense that directors always tell me is how do i create this buy-in like i'm really excited about this and that but teachers are like "Eh, how do i create this buy-in so i want i want to get started with that
2: so so there's a few questions in there so the 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 first thing about leadership is understanding the definition of leadership and we don't really have a good standardized definition you know some people think it's about rank some thinking some people think it means being in charge uh, servant leadership is thrown about a lot in other words we don't even have a singular definition of leadership and yet we have people claiming that they are those things or aspiring to be those things wow. The news is, is there's a an objective biological definition and it's uh, to the effect of uh, uh, taking care of those around us in other words working to see that those around us uh, are able to uh, work to their greatest potential and to succeed that's that's what leaders are supposed to do and what I find astonishing is how many leaders actually don't even realize that. You can hear that in their own language. You talk to CEOs and you say, you know, what's your priority? What's your, what's your responsibility? And they say, the results. No, it isn't. The responsibility of a leader is to take care of the people who take care of the people who take care of the results. You know, teachers are the same thing. I ask a principal, you know, what's your priority? The students, no, it's not. A principal's responsibility are the people who take care of the students. In a hospital, the patients, nope. The people,
3: <laughs>
2: the people who take care of the patients. Because when the people feel taken care of, when they feel like someone's got their back, they will focus all of their energy in taking care of their responsibility, whether it's a student, a, a customer, or, or a patient. Um, but when people feel that leadership has something else in mind, even if it's the thing that they're also responsible for, they feel that they have to protect themselves from the leadership sometimes. Okay. So all energy doesn't go straight down gets dispersed, and this is what creates, unfortunately, dissatisfaction at work. So the question is then, once they establishes and understands what their priority is, which is to take care of the people who are responsible for the students, and I always remind uh, teachers and principals, remember, you don't teach curriculum, you teach people. The question is then, how do you do it? How do you, as you said, how do you get buy-in? Well, this is where the concept of why comes in. I learned this a few years ago, just based on the biology of human decision-making, which is people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. In other words, it's not the stuff, it's the reason why you set out to sell it in the first place. It's not the curriculum you aim to teach, but it's the reason you set out to be a teacher or that uh, the reason you find this, com- this curriculum so compelling personally in the first place. In other words, what's your, what's your purpose, what's your cause, what's your belief? And when you talk about that cause or belief, it's amazing how many people are interested in what you want to do. So I'll use me, for example. I don't uh, go around telling people, oh, I wrote a book, you should read my book, mm-hmm. or I gave a TED talk listen to my TED talk. I talk about what I believe. I talk about my vision. I talk about why I do what I do. I say, for example, I wake up every single day with a singular purpose to inspire people to do what inspires them so together we can change our world. And I have a vision of the world of what I'd love it to be that doesn't exist yet. I imagine a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning inspired to go to work, feel safe when they're there and return home fulfilled at the end of the day. And I do all kinds of things to advance that cause. I write, I teach, I speak. So if you want to check out some of the books that I've written on the subject, or maybe check out a TED talk that I've done on the subject, you'll find that I'm coming up with all the ideas and all the ways in which we can advance that vision together. Right. Way more compelling. And I didn't mention, you know, you do not say, oh, uh, New York Times bestseller, all this nonsense, you know? Like, who cares about that stuff? That's not the reason someone buys into something.
1: So how can a director, well, then what you're saying is the person has to take a deep look in herself first and say, okay, why am I here? Why am I the leader of this school? Really understand that first. And let's say she doesn't understand. Let's say she is clear
2: about. I'm here to make a difference. I care about. Yeah, but that's that's so that's too generic. Okay. To make a difference, everybody wants to make a difference. Okay. What could she do herself? She can. She can. She can join the army. Like there, you know. There's something. There's something about teachers.
3: Yeah.
2: Who, who they chose to go into a profession where they knew they were never going to get rich.
3: Right.
2: Often it's thankless. You don't get to see the kids their entire lives, right? You see them for one little glimmer, uh, especially when we're talking early, edu- early education. You really don't even you really don't even get a sense of what the kid's capable of until a little bit later.
3: Sure.
2: Um, and and yet for some reason, and and you know that you know it's some uh, um, some of the schools are poorly led, and yet for some reason it's worth it. It's worth getting out of bed every single morning to do that. What is so important? That it's worth getting underpaid, underappreciated, and working in a place that's not necessarily well led, and you still want to do it. Tell me the answer to that question, and we're talking purpose.
1: I love that. Wow. Yeah, because now you're really digging into, you're really digging deep. It's not surface level anymore, and that's why it's harder to answer that question.
3: Or generic, it's not generic.
1: Because when you put all that information in front of me, it's like, oh my God, why am I doing this? Um, so, yeah, it, it really um, goes deeper in that way. And so what you're saying is to create that bind with your staff is sit together with them as a team and really have everyone answer these questions.
2: And and the interesting thing is, even though we're trying to answer the question why, you actually go through the process by asking yourself what. Ironically, asking, a question, asking yourself the question why doesn't work so well because the question why is an emotional question. You know, the question what is a rational question, so you engage different parts of the brain. So, you know, why are you home late? Shut up, dad. You know, what were you, what were you doing that you're home late? I was out with my friends. Right?
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So, so, so ironically, to get to the question, why you actually ask yourself the question, what, what specifically is so important that it's worth being underpaid, underappreciated, that is actually more likely to elicit the kind of answer that matters. And for a principal or a program director to say, let me tell you why I got into this profession. Let me tell you what matters to me so personally. And maybe there's a story. In fact, the best kinds of ways to explain your why are through a story. I remember there was this one kid, David. Mm. He was a cute kid, da-da-da-da-da. And let me tell you, it was, be- it was because of, and you tell the whole story about this little kid, and you say, it's because of kids like him that I'm so devoted. And then, in other words, even if you don't find the real Uh, words to describe your purpose, cause, or your belief, you can get at it circuitously by talking about a specific kid that sort of embodies the magic of what it means to be a teacher to you. And if you tell people that story, they resonate.
1: Yeah, because that is, I mean, people that come into early childhood with little kids like 18 months, twos and threes, the child is really what compels them. Like when I ask teachers that, why they get out of bed in the morning, a lot of that answer is, I the kids smile like that's what they're coming for so i love this this idea of having all your teachers share their story you start as the leader and then have each teacher share her story
2: exactly and even saying i want to hear the kids smile much better than than you know i want to make an impact right you know (laughs) i want to make a difference that's true one level down is i love to see them smile me too but not everybody loves to see them smile for the same reason and some people have appreciation for some kids more than others. There are certain children that have gone through your classrooms over the years that really capture and embody the joy you derive from being a teacher. I wanna hear those specific stories about those specific children's uh, children and the specific uh, instances that capture the joy and magic for you, the days that you don't care about whether how much money you're making, you don't care about whether people appreciate you, it's this kid. <sighs> that you can literally bring yourself to tears or get goosebumps retelling the story of this these specific children and the specific stories that they have.
1: Yeah, even just as you're saying that, I'm just like, all these memories are kind of just coming to me and I'm remembering all these stories. Don't
2: remember You don't remember every single child you've taught. No. You remember the ones that matter, the ones that resonate with you personally. Wow. That's why you remember them.
1: Yeah, and really share that. And, and I think it creates this emotional stirrup in the room when every teacher's Sharing that specific memory. It it helps create this unity and again like what the directors want They want this culture of collaboration unity and all those, you know Generic words in that way. This really drives that forward. Correct. Yeah, and so it, it brings me to, to my next point in that when a leader is coming into school either for the first time or even if she's been in the school for many decades they're constantly working on creating this culture and the culture word is, is you know around a lot and like back and forth on this pendulum. And I think we're really trying to identify what kind of culture we really want in our school. And for every leader, it's gonna be something else. But there's this underlying feeling that every director wants this space where there's creativity like bursting out of its themes and people wanna take risks and they're excited about being innovative. And so, a lot of the questions that I've been getting over the past couple of weeks have been: How do you really empower? And I'm I'm doing verbatim right now. How do you empower teachers to take more risks? How do you inspire teachers to be more
3: creative?
2: Right. Um, so, I stayed at the Ritz, uh, the the Four Seasons rather. I stayed at the Four Seasons in Las Vegas, which is a luxury hotel.
3: Sure.
2: <laughs> in, and in the lobby of the Four Seasons in Las Vegas they have a coffee bar. So I went one afternoon and I went to buy a cup of coffee and there's a, a, a barista there working there by the name of Noah. Noah is absolutely wonderful. He was funny, he was engaging. I stood there for way too long than one should stand there to buy a cup of coffee because I was enjoying his company so much. And you know, was, I think I gave 100% tip, but just a lovely, lovely kid, right? So I asked him, uh, do you like your job? And without skipping a beat, Noah says, no, I love my job. And then I said, what specifically is the Four Seasons seasons doing that you would say to me, I love my job? And he said, without skipping a beat, he said, throughout the day, managers will walk past me and ask me if I'm okay and ask me if there's anything I need to do my job better. He said, not just my manager, all the managers. Then he said, I also work for Caesar's Palace. And there, the managers walk around to make sure I'm doing everything right, or catch me if I do something wrong. There, I keep my head below the radar, and I just want to get through the day and get my paycheck. He says, "He says only at Four Seasons can I be myself."
1: I just got
2: goosebumps. (laughs) So, point is, same person. Wow. And we always hear this: "Oh, get the right people on the bus." Blah 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 blah. No no no. It's not the people on the bus. It's the bus. It's the same person and the experience that the customer will have when you engage with Noah at two different hotels will be profoundly different, not because of the person, but because of the job the leaders think they have. One thinks their job is to take care of him. The other thinks their job is to make sure he does everything right for the best customer experience. So so when you want to get innovation out of a teacher… We can't just yell at them and say, be innovative, and then yell at them when they get something wrong. Innovation requires experimentation, and experimentation requires risk, and risk requires failure. Inherent in the concept of experimentation is, is trial and error. Trial and error. More errors than, than, than trials sometimes.
3: Sure.
2: This is, the, this, this, is how, this is how innovation and ideas happen. So if we don't give teachers the latitude, the support that they need, if they try something and it doesn't work, We're just supposed to say, good, try again. How'd that work out? What do you need from me? How can I help? Do you need top cover from the administration? I'll give you that. Do you need a little more, do you need me to to shield you from parents for a little bit? I'll give you that. Like, what do you need? I'm here to protect you. And then give them the space and the more, and it doesn't happen once. This is the problem. So many leaders do something once it doesn't work and they give up. Yeah. These are ongoing things over the course. Like how long does it take to fall in love? How long does it take to make a friend? You just go out once with them and then you're friends? No. It takes time for somebody to develop trust. And some people will develop quicker than others. So we can't even apply the same standard to everybody. Because some people may may be a matter of weeks and some people may be a matter of months. Right? So the point is it's the environment that we create. And once people feel that the leaders actually, in real life, that it's it's not just words, in real life, have their backs and are there concerned about their well-being and want them to be their true selves, want them to use their own brains that two different classes teaching the same thing, two different teachers teaching the same thing, would teach entirely differently because they're teaching from their hearts, and that's fine. Wow. Then and only then at that point will the teachers start to experiment and the teachers start to innovate. And if the leader cannot create that environment, there will be no innovation. None. It'll be safe, safe bets.
1: Yeah. So like, and again, like you were saying this, there, there isn't like, okay, if you do this for two weeks, you'll get this. It's, there's no like this time frame. So it's, it's a daily practice, right? So what are those? Yeah. What were you saying? It's human. It's human. Right. And so what, what do you have some tips or some daily actions, like a daily practice that some of the. Directors can start doing that. You can create this space. Because again, like you were saying, there's not two weeks and then you fall in love or, or whatever it is. There's, sure. You can't put this, like um, I heard you once saying, you were saying like, there's no specific date. Like, oh, October 31st, I fell in love with my husband. No, there's there's all these different actions that lead up to this moment where you're like, wow, I really love this person. Exactly. And so what are some of those daily practice, those daily actions that a leader needs to do so that her people really feel this safety, like, wow, she really has my back.
2: So again, like making friends, like falling in love, I can give you a checklist, and if you do all those things, it won't work. <laughs>
3: right.
2: So if you, can, if you can understand the essence of the things that I'm talking about, right. you, can, you can do these things or not. Right. Why you do things like this and it'll work? Right. So for example, um, my friend Bob Chapman, who runs the company in, in St. Louis, yes. he talks about catching people doing things right. Okay. We keep catching people doing things wrong. Why not catch people doing things right?
3: Yeah.
1: Right?
2: Why not celebrate their strengths? Right? So, for example, usually when a principal, for example, comes to sit in the back of a classroom.
1: Oh, this happens a lot.
2: Yeah. That's like death. Right? Yeah. Because all the teachers are nervous because they feel like, the, as opposed to a principal coming and sit in the back of the classroom at the end, giving them the list of all the things that are fantastic and then walking out.
1: Oh, I love oh my gosh directors do this at least once or twice a month they go into all the classes and they observe to see how the teachers are working and then just observing kids but and here's where I just recently realized this little mindset shift for for specifically for early childhood leaders when we go in and we observe children we're observing to see where's the deficit because we want to say okay do they need services do they need this how can we help them And then we apply the same strategy when we go and observe our teachers. Where's the deficit? Why are we observing the teachers in the exact same way? And you're saying that come in, observe, and just tell them, hey, here's all the amazing things I saw you do during your learning circle today. Awesome. Thanks so much. And and that's
2: not to say that you can't offer uh, uh, encouragement or opportunities for improvement, but there's also a time and a place. Right. Right? And a better time is not necessarily right in the classroom. Right. Right. The time in the classroom is the positive reinforcement. Say all the things you're doing right. And then what I would recommend is get all the teachers together at the end of the month or end of the week, and then go through all the notes of the things that you love that the other teachers could learn from, and the things that you saw some teachers that could improve upon that everybody can learn from. So it's not one teacher getting told, but rather it's used as an environment that everyone is learning how to be a better teacher based on the, the strengths and the opportunities for growth from all the teachers. Right as opposed to making it this sort of inquisition um, one teacher at a time.
1: Yeah, and-
2: I want a program director to walk and sit in the back of a classroom and I want a teacher to smile, excited to share with that director what they're doing that day, as opposed to feeling nervous that they're gonna get caught doing something wrong.
3: That would be beautiful.
1: That would be amazing if that was the environment in educational institutions, that-
2: easily achieved with good leadership.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just the fact that I mean, again, I, I talk to teachers all the time, and whenever I ask them how often does your director come in and watch you, she's like, oh my god, please don't. I can't. I I, I get, I start fumbling, I start stuttering, I start, and I'm like,
3: why?
2: And again, and again, it's it's the direct. You know, God bless them, but the the directors think the their responsibility is to take care of the children. No, it is not. That is not the responsibility of a director. That is the responsibility of the teacher. The director's sole responsibility is to take care of the teachers so that they can be better equipped to take care of the students. That's it. That is the hierarchy.
3: And then
1: you were saying before also about for every teacher, it's going to be a different time frame. And so I find that, again, in bigger institutions where there's like 10, 20, 30 teachers, in, in one place I work, there's 85 you know, staff members. And it, it kind of can feel overwhelming and like, oh my God, every person needs something separate. Like every person needs me to appreciate them in a different way. What, how How can the director look at this a little differently where she's not coming from a place of overwhelm but coming from a place of, oh, this is such a great opportunity.
2: So one thing is, is not every program is right for every director, right? If scale scares you, go work in a smaller school, right? Okay. Like, like if you don't want the challenge, because leadership is very, very difficult. We don't give you that, we don't give you more money in a nicer office for free. Okay. We give you more money in a nicer office because it's hard work. It is very hard work taking care of all those teachers so that they can take care of the kids. So that's why we give you all the perks. It ain't free, right? It's a balanced equation.
3: Sure.
2: So, so um, you have, that, that is the opportunity, which is to wake up every day and be grateful for the opportunity to take care of 85 teachers who will have an exponential impact on, a number, on that number of children. Right. So that's, that's my, oh my God, if I take care of 85 teachers, think about how many children's lives I will touch. Right?
3: Yeah. And you know, I think first,
2: what- so, so the opportunity is that you have to give them all something different, but you also can rely on help. In other words, you have an assistant director.
3: You yeah,
2: And you take care of them and make sure that they're empowered to also help take care of the teachers and you have different personalities. So my personality may be better for some kind of feedback or somebody else's personality is better for another kind of feedback. You know, so sometimes you have good cop, bad cop. So the most senior person comes in with all the positive stuff because when they say something negative, it's really hard just because of their title. And the, and the, the assistant can come and be like, listen, you've got to fix this and you got to fix this. What are you thinking? You know, we love you, but you know, we've talked about this. They can get away with it a lot easier without it being so tense. Use the positions and the hierarchy and the personalities to benefit the message you're trying to spread.
1: I love that. It doesn't always have to come from the director. Like you, you have a team and, and yeah. And before, yeah, cause I want to get into feedback in a minute, but before I get into that, I want, I wanted you to share um, about um, pr- like this personalized approach with every teacher. You shared a story one time about, um Bob Chapman, and how he was at a wedding, and how that was when he when he was at this wedding, that was a big shift for him and yeah. i I want for you to share that story
2: yeah, so Bob Chapman was the guy I just talked about a second ago who catches people doing things right, so yeah. he used to be that that sort of numbers led traditional kind of you know do as I say not as I do kind of leader you know um and he he had an epiphany once he was at a wedding, as you said, he was just in the pews, like he was just a guest in the wedding. And he observed the ceremony where a father walks his baby girl down the aisle and then ceremonially gives her away. So here's a man who's devoted his entire life to raising this child, taking care of her. He would sacrifice his life for her and then ceremonially gives her away and then walks away and sits down. And then ceremonially and traditionally this bride will take the name of her husband as if to say, I'm leaving one tribe that used to look after me to join another tribe that we all hope will take care of me. It's a, that's what's happening. And Bob saw this ceremony of this father giving away his, his daughter to another man and realized that every single person in his company is someone's son and someone's daughter. And they have given him, their son and daughter, to take care of. And he has this awesome responsibility to invest as much in them as the parents did to get them to, where they, to that point. And he was just sort of struck by this awesome responsibility that he's failed to do that. That he's taking, He is not taking care of people's special, special treasure. And so he completely changed the way in which he started to lead and the way, he, the way he, he recognized people, promoted people, hired people, everything, everything changed. So when they gave their people training, they didn't just give them skills-based training, which is what teachers learn how to teach.
3: Sure.
2: But they gave them all kinds of other training. Like they taught them how to do conflict resolution. So if you have a fight with another teacher, how do you talk it through? Oh my
3: gosh. Oh, so they gave
2: communication training and listening. Listening, how to listen to each other. Not the kids, each other. He gave them that kind of training.
3: Wow.
2: They started giving them all kinds of different uh, ways of seeing the world and all human things. Because as we promote people, we don't give them the training on how to do the job of leadership. Just because someone's a good teacher doesn't mean they're a good administrator or a good uh, principal.
1: And and this is so true. Like a lot of times, the people that like, get into the directorship position is because they were these super creative, super teachers. And that's great to to be a creative director. It's fantastic. But you also need the skill set to be this leader. Right to lead people because now you're not in the classroom
2: anymore. Correct. And unfortunately, it's a completely different skill set. And most organizations fail their leaders because they promote them because they were good at the job, but they never let them know that their job has changed. They're now no longer responsible for children or curriculum. They're now responsible for the people who are responsible for the children and the curriculum. That's an entirely different skill set.
1: Yeah. And, and we do training, I mean, directors do have a budget for training where they train the teachers how to listen better to kids, how to ask better questions, how to communicate with parents, like, they do all of those trainings, and then what you're saying, what Bob was doing was about communication with each other, like, there's so much conflict between teacher and teacher, sometimes there's competitiveness, where they're like, oh my god, like, you're doing things and now I'm going to look bad or whatever it is. And, and teach your teachers how to work with each other in that way.
2: And also doing things with the school. So for example, does that director ever um, on a Friday night, you know, bring in some wine and beer and some crackers and pizza just for the teachers and the teachers just hang out for an extra hour or two after school, just hanging out with each other, socializing and then go home. Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't that happening? Are there, celebra- are there celebrations? If one teacher has an amazing success who really embodies the values of the school, are we giving that, pe- that person a public reward? Do we allow the teachers to choose the teacher they most admire for recognition? Because peer recognition is even more powerful than, than, than uh, mm. principal recognition. Being mm. recognized by one person is nice, but when our peers recognize us, you can do a volunteer group with every teacher gets to write a, nominate and write an essay about the teacher they most uh, admire and hope to be like. You take, the volunteers take all those uh, nominations and you give a huge public recognition. You bring all the teachers into one room and you say who won the award. You give them, a, you give them uh, important recognition. You give everybody else who was nominated the letters that people wrote about them it is the most powerful thing a human being can ever go through to find out what their peers think about them. And then what happens is because that person gets public recognition, everybody works to be more like that teacher that we all love and admire. Yes. Not the one who's the most creative, but the one who's the best person, the one who takes joy out of our successes, the one who isn't competitive. So yeah. the peer, peer recognition is a hugely powerful thing.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it's, of this competitiveness in school there's a lot between teachers you'd be surprised there's a lot of competition like you know who could put out the most creative stuff or who makes the most beautiful documentation boards or who has the best communication because with because that's
2: what you're recognizing
1: right okay yeah and the that's
2: person who puts right. out the best the best prettiest documentation isn't necessarily the teacher that everybody admires the peers the peers
3: okay
2: i want to know which teacher the teachers admire and love and strive to be more like. Yeah. That and needs always, to be captured and recognized.
1: And it's always going to be the teacher that doesn't care about competition. It's going to be the teacher that actually shares her ideas freely and wants to want everyone to gain, you know, from her. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: And yeah. then, and then you have a leader that encourages and fosters that kind of environment.
1: Yeah. So going back to the the piece we we started talking a little bit about the feedback, right? Where And this is such a big piece for directors because they'll come into classes or they'll see what's going on, or I'll I'll just share with you like a couple examples right off the bat and then we'll, we'll go into the feedback piece. So for example, a teacher needs to hand in her newsletter, let's say by Wednesday. And there's a policy, there's a system, they sign the contract, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Week after week, they, they're submitting it late. That's one problem. Then there's another issue where a teacher isn't communicating properly with parents. She's not speaking professionally, she's not, or she's yelling at parents or whatever it is. That's another issue. And then another teacher has an issue with curriculum. She's not following the standards. She's putting out, um, I don't know, she's putting out 90s curriculum instead of, you know, the 21st century uh, kind of curriculum that we're working towards. And where the burnout from the directors come from, where I get all the feedback and everything is, how do I actually get them to hand in the newsletter on time? How do I actually get them to stop doing all these sure.
2: things? Sure. So, so listen to the, what you're saying. How do I get them to? Okay. They're They're not puppies to be trained. Okay. Right? Okay. The, 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 the essential quality of good leadership is empathy. Let's not concern ourselves primarily with what they're doing right or wrong. Let's concern ourselves with the person. So it's not, how do I get them to do the newsletter? Rather, it's going to them and saying, are you okay? We've talked about this. You know, it's like, there's two ways to walk into someone's office, right? You can walk into their classroom and say, we've talked about this three times already. Your newsletters are always right. You have to get them in on time. And if you don't, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Oh, that's inspiring. That's that's. (laughs) Or, or, or you can walk into their classroom and say, hey, we've talked about this three times already. Your newsletters are never coming in late. Are you okay? I'm worried about you. What's going on? I know you can do this. What, what's going on? I'm, I'm concerned. Tell me. Right. And you might find out they're having trouble at home or you might find out they're, fe- they're overwhelmed or you might find out that they're ill-equipped. You might find out that there's a problem that you can actually help solve, or at least that you can offer some care. And if there's something more substantive, like I, nobody, I don't know how to do it. Well, it's like, oh my goodness, we can do that. Why don't you work with, you know, Kani for a while, she gets it. Just why don't you do it with her? Why don't the two of you work together in your newsletters? Maybe that will help. Let's try that out. So it's not about fixing it and getting it out the next day. It's like, let's try that out. You're trying to help the person work to their natural great potential, right? And yeah. Some people are better at things than others. We can't expect everybody to be great at everything. That's not fair. So. Sure. So so that's the other the other th- so the, the the director has to start with empathy. Are you okay? I know you're capable of this. I'm worried about you. What's going on?
1: Yeah, and and I I think that's a really hard place to come to when we're so results driven in that way in the schools where we need all of this to happen right away and the parents are waiting for this and the board we have to answer all these people and it's challenging to come from this place of empathy, but when and it might take longer. But when you do come from this place of empathy, that's the real leadership. That's when you really care about your right. people. And that's when you're stopped going to be so self-absorbed. How do I get them to do X, Y, and Z? Like Correct. you were saying, you know, the puppet. But uh, you're humanizing what's happening because you are working with humans.
2: Correct. And the most important thing to remember for any director is you may not be able to fix it in one school term. So you may have an issue that you're trying to fix, fix now, fix now, fix now, but the pressure that you put on the people, it may work in the short term, but you're ultimately gonna break everybody in the school over the long term. And so sometimes we have to say, we know we're gonna have a modicum of success this year, but it's okay because we know that for every future year, uh, it's gonna be gangbusters, right? You say, well, what about the kids this year? Well, you already screwed it up. So it's not like, you know, it's like, you'll do as, as good as you can, But the opportunity is not just these kids, it's all kids ever that ever go through your school. And you kind of have to play that, you have to have to kind of play that greater good game. Um, So that doesn't mean you ignore this year, but it means that that you have to accept some of the changes you're going to make culturally aren't fixable in a few months.
1: Yeah, and and I, I want to dig a little bit deeper down this rabbit hole for a minute because, and, and we can bring in a a company or a business model, or if it's easier to kind of um, create this this uh, example. But I, I'm thinking along the lines of where. A lot of directors do feel like they're empathetic because preschool directors are all female. I mean, there are maybe a handful of, of male preschool directors, but majority are female, which by very nature, we're nurturing. We have this, you know, empathetic side. We're caring. We're, we're working preschool. We're, we're nurturers. And so they do feel like they are nurturing their teachers and they are giving to them and they are empathetic. And then there's this other piece that kind of, you're laughing already at me. And then there's this other piece that comes in where they feel like, but I'm nitpicking and all these little things. Like, how do I, again, like I'm repeating my question and now I'm hearing myself where it's like, how do I get them? And you keep on saying, that's not the approach that you're taking. We're coming in from the wrong place.
2: How do I get somebody to do something? Like I hear this all the the time. I get this question. um, How do I get the most out of my people? How do I get the best out of my people? They're not a towel. You don't ring them. You don't see how, how much you can get out of them. It, like, how do I help my people work at their natural best?
3: That's the question.
2: The right question. And it profoundly changes the answers you'll come up with simply by changing the question. So you might be coming up with all the right answers to all the wrong questions. That's the problem. How do I get the best out of my people? Well, you can whip them. That works. That works really well. It works. It does. It does. Try it. You know? Um, but that doesn't, it's not, it's not sustainable. Teachers will become demoralized, they'll quit or they'll just become bad teachers, right? Um, and that's because of the environment they, in which they work. Remember Noah at the, at the Four Seasons? Yeah,
3: season? oh, I love that story.
2: It's the, it's the environment, right?
3: Oh.
2: So, so you're absolutely right. There has to be a practice of reframing. So you, I was smiling when you said, you know, a lot of these directors uh, feel that they are empathetic. Go ask the teachers. I'm not interested in what they think about themselves. Right. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're honest, and yet why do people lie? right? Are you honest? Yeah, I'm honest. Then why did you lie about the fact that you were late because of the subway when the reality is you left the house late? Oh, sorry, the subway. No, you left late. But you just told me you're an honest person, right? So I am not interested if somebody feels like they're empathetic. I have no doubt that they feel like they're empathetic. I want to know from the teachers, do you feel your director is empathetic? That is called feedback.
1: And, and how could the director get that feedback from her teachers? So ask, ask for it. Ask for, like, let's say she's like, okay, you know what? I'm ready to strip away all this stuff. Like, let me, I want to know what my people think of me. Are the teachers going to even say anything to her so, face?
2: So again, maybe not the first time. Okay. It's right. environmental, right? right. So, right. so we, do, we do a 360 review of an amazing, and it's an amazing structure that we do that I absolutely love, right? Well, what is it? We just did our 360s last week. Okay. So what we do is every single person on the team Mm -hmm. Has to answer, you have to write down on a piece of paper, thoughtfully, um, what are my three strengths or areas that I believe I've shown the greatest improvement with specific examples. And then you write my three weaknesses or areas in which I need to improve the most with specific examples. Then everybody's answers are taken and collated and put in one document and distributed to everybody. So everybody gets to read what everybody thinks about themselves. Then we all come together in a meeting where we sit around a table for a day and we all take a turn one by one where we read what we believe our weaknesses are and then we sit back and anybody who wants to speak is allowed to tell us what they think our weaknesses are or our areas we need to improve and we're not allowed to speak. You're, you can ask clarifying questions, Offensive. you cannot fight back and you cannot offer excuses. You're not allowed, you're literally not allowed to speak. Wow. And if you do get caught,
3: or whoever
2: will shut it down. We'll say, it. and with the, way, with the word we use is banana, because it's not offensive. We don't say, hey, you're getting, you know, we go banana, let's move on.
3: Oh, this is so great.
2: Okay? And then after all of every, and people are brutal. They tell us that you, they tell me things. Like what? I, I, I had the most junior person in our company. Tell me where I let her down. Oh,
1: my God. What did you feel like? Honestly, what did you feel like inside when she said that?
2: Well, I'm, I, I mean, I love it because the more senior you get, nobody gives you any negative feedback. They keep telling exactly. you how wonderful you are. Exactly. And I don't, I'm not growing or learning when people tell me I'm great. I don't care about that. I want to know where I'm weak. So I'm actually very funny. When we get to the strengths, I'm like, okay, okay, let's, let's move on, you know? Yeah. I'm not very good at that either, but, but yeah. I'm, I crave it. I want to know how I show up with the most junior person. Sure. I need to know that. So, so then, then once we're done with the weaknesses
3: yeah.
2: then, and opportunities for growth, then we go through strengths and everybody gets to weigh in on what they admire in you. And they say things that you didn't even know that they admired in you. And again, you're not, a, you're not allowed to say thank you. You're not, allowed, you're not allowed to say anything. You just sit there and take it. And we record, everybody records on their phone the feedback given to them so that they can go listen to it later. And then you turn it off. So only you only have one recording of the feedback being given to you. That's it. Wow. And and a remarkable, remarkable experience because you get to hear someone's pain. Yes. And so it makes you empathetic to the things that you complained about.
3: Sure.
2: You also get to hear how you are showing up. So I can think I'm the world's best listener and really nice, and I find out I'm a terrible Mm -hmm. listener. Right? Um. So it doesn't matter what I think about myself. What matters is what others experience of me that I have to be on guard. And then I can, I can say thank you to everybody and ask for help. And then, and then in the future, if I'm doing something that was brought up in my 360, somebody can say, hey, Simon, you're doing that again. I'd be like, oh, my God, you're right. You're right, you're right. So the feedback is not harsh. But if you do that, then the director can come into the classroom and be like, awesome, amazing, here are the things that I love. Remember that thing that came up in, in, in 360? Just a little, I caught you doing it. Oh, my God, oh, my God. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
3: Wow. It's a
2: group of people who are organized to help each other grow.
3: That,
1: that's the culture. The culture is we all want to get better.
2: We all want to get better, right? It's everybody Everybody grows every year. And then we give out something called the Aspen Award, where we give out award to the person who's grown the most.
3: Oh, wow.
2: So we actually recognize the person who's made the biggest leap who we will say when you first joined us, you are a completely different person or a completely different teacher or completely than who you are now. We used to, used to drive us nuts, now we love you. Like we actually give an award and we don't do it annually because it's not necessarily an annual thing. We do it when it, when it happens. We give an award to the person who's demonstrated the greatest amount of personal growth.
1: And that's the culture you created right there, because you're not recognizing the person that made the most beautiful documentation board. You're recognizing the person that's dug so deep within themselves to become a better teacher.
2: We don't give out awards for the highest performing anything.
1: Wow. And how often do you do this
2: 360, Simon? 360s are done, we do them once a year. Okay. Um, but I like, ongo- there's but so there's, we have ongoing feedback sessions as well that okay. aren't big, intense, you know, go prepare and everything. We have okay. ongoing, we have coaching pods where we help like each that. other, where the, the, you're assigned a coach and you work together to help each other grow. Okay. You know, like the problem with feedback, especially with young, young people, is they say they want feedback. What they want is positive affirmation.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, right? Yes. Feedback,
2: okay. they don't like negative feedback. They get angry, they get defensive, they cry or they quit right? So, and, and, and we're all like that to some degree. And so feedback is positive and negative. And here's the, here's the rub. You don't learn anything with all the good stuff. Now, I, I talked about catching people doing things right. There's time and place for negative feedback. Right after someone's given a class is not the time. They're all high. They're all excited. They had a great class. And then you come in and you rain on their parade. Bad timing. That's the time when you say, my God, you're amazing. I love this. I love this. It's, I'll give you a great example. I have, my friends My friends value me because I'm honest. It's one of the things they value in my friendship, in our friendship, right? I have a friend. I went to see her play. It was the most god-awful play I've ever seen in my entire life, okay? She comes running up to me after the play. She's still in makeup. Like, she hasn't even changed yet. And she goes, oh, my God, you came. Thank you. What did you think? That is not the time and place for me to say, oh, my God, that was awful because it is unfair and mean, but I have to be honest. So what do I say? So what I said was, I'm so proud of you. It was so much fun to see you on the stage, all true. Sure. And then she's like, oh my God, thank you for coming, thank you for coming. Then we hug and it's wonderful. The next day, when emotions have calmed, I call up and I say, do you want some honest feedback on the play? She goes, oh my God, yes, please. I go, well, here are the things, that I thought were really hard to watch. Overall, it was really a hard to watch play. And here are the reasons. I thought the scripting was poor. Mm-hmm. I thought the re- directing was really weak. And she'll sit there and go, oh my God, you're so right. It was actually kind of a struggle. Huh. Okay. So yes, it's important to be, it's important to be honest, but, but timing doesn't have to always be immediate. So if you go into someone's classroom, that is the time to celebrate them.
3: Okay. The time, I to love point
2: out the, point, the time to point out how great they are. There are different times that you can give the, the notes for improvement and the re- and you don't say, this is what you need to do. You say, I have some notes just like an actor. I have notes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Let's hear the notes. I want to hear the notes.
3: Oh, I
1: look, you're not telling her, this is what I think you should change. Here's the notes of what I observed. That's the,
2: like, notes. I, I treat myself like, like I'm watching a play in rehearsal. And at the end of a play, you say at the end, they don't correct things in the middle. At the end of the rehearsal, the director says, here are your notes. You need to do this. You need to do this. This comes out weird. You're saying this weird. At, fix it. I don't know how, but it's coming out weird. Huh. And sometimes there's a dialogue and you discuss a solution. And sometimes the person goes, I know what to do. Okay. To say, notes. Here's notes. I noticed that half your classroom is getting distracted and, 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 and half the classroom isn't. Oh, you know what? I know exactly what I can do to fix that. Cool. Fix that.
1: And what if they don't? What if they blankly in front of you, and they're like, well, I thought it went really, really well, right?
2: And you can say, okay, but I'm just telling you what I observed. Okay. So you can choose to ignore my feedback, or you okay. can to take my feedback. Let's see. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't claim to have all the answers. I'm just telling you what I saw. All right, see you next time. Bye. Okay,
1: okay. so uh, some you're people, coming with a different agenda. You're not coming in with this agenda of like, okay, I gotta fix this. I gotta fix this now. I gotta make sure that all the kids are listening next circle.
2: Hey, do you like it when your husband tries to fix you?
1: No way. Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: okay, so why would we like it when our director tries to fix us? Right. Everybody there is a trained teacher who is hired because they apparently meet some minimum standard or some maximum standard, which is even better. Sure. And And are, somebody else decided that they're qualified and a good fit for the school. So we can safely assume that they know how to do their jobs. Okay. Let's Treat them with that level of respect. Absolutely. Right? And you don't want your husband to fix you. You want your husband to listen to you. Same thing. We don't want our directors to fix us. We want our directors to hear us. We want our And the the safer we feel, the more we feel that our directors care about us as human beings, only then will we be open to some of their really harsh feedback. Because I have a point with my team where somebody can call me up and say, you're an absolute ass you act you the way you showed up today was disgusting and i'd be like oh my god you know because i can take it because i know where it's coming from yeah but until you create that environment simply showing up and be like you know i'm doing this for you that, that doesn't work
3: no, way. no
1: it does and you know what just last week actually i had one of my team members actually um wrote, like she submitted something like much later than the deadline that we originally had agreed upon and before I got on the call with her, I sat down and I asked myself, okay, before I start placing blame, before I start whatever it is, maybe I'm getting in her way. Maybe there was something that I did that didn't allow her to do that. And so the first question I asked her, I said, how am I getting in your way as a leader? Like what are the stumbling blocks that I, that maybe I'm placing in front of you? And she was immediately, and she was like, you know what? You send me too many emails. We need to create one space where we just chat over there because it's getting cluttered in my inbox. I'm like, done. And you know what? It was really hard for me to say that, but I, it it just made a huge difference in our communication.
2: You know, not it's not a it's not it's not a necessarily a bad thing. It's it comes from a place of goodness. But so many directors think that their job is to leverage all of their skills and what they know to help make their teachers better, and aren't aware that they can become better directors. Sure. So. At every job we have, our goal is to become better at whatever it is we're doing. So if you're a teacher, your goal is to be a better teacher today than you were yesterday, a better teacher next week than you were last week, and a better teacher next year than, than, than this year. Every year you should be a better teacher. You're never the best, but every year you should be a better teacher. And then if you get promoted to a position of, di- of director, every single day, every single week, every single year, you have to strive to be a better director than you were the previous director, which means nothing has nothing to do with being a teacher. Your teaching career is over. It's done. You don't need to strive to be a better teacher. You need to strive to be a better director, which is a different skill set and a different responsibility.
1: And that's where your focus needs to be. So,
2: as as teachers, you study teaching. You get certified as a teacher, and you're kind of students of teaching. In other words, you're always reading and getting feedback from other teachers how to be a better teacher. How many directors are students of leadership? First of all, we give them no advanced training. They didn't get certified. Right? We just gave them some of them got it who knows why. They their dad owes in the school. I don't know. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. and and you now have to change. You have to in other words, you stop reading books about how to teach and you start reading books about how to lead. You have to be all the best leaders I know. And I'm talking some unbelievable people who run huge organizations and they're remo- they're all students of leadership. We get together and that's all we talk about.
1: What is what does what, what that student of leadership do? Like you were saying, you get together. What are, what are some things that you do to be a student of leadership?
2: So what do you do when you're a student of anything? If you want to learn about uh, American history, what do you do about it? You read books at a library. You, you read books. You watch documentaries. Things you don't understand. You discuss with people who maybe know more than you do. That's mm-hmm. what students do. They take classes. They go to seminars.
3: Okay.
2: Right? So as a student of leadership, I watch documentaries. I read books. I talk to people who know more about me. I look for people who are much smarter than me. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. And that's the problem. I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself a student. And I'm maybe a more advanced student than others, but I still have much to learn. So if I'm always in remedial classes, if I'm always talking at a low level of people who are starting out in their careers, I'm not learning. So I'm happy to do that as a service, but I have to make sure that I'm also the stupidest guy in the room. So I try to find environments where I'm like, I'm sitting there going, "What? here For? Just shut your mouth, Simon! Don't say a word because everyone's going to know you're an idiot." Oh you know? Goodness. And I sit there and I take it in and I take it all. I just met a guy last week, pure chance. I was introduced to this guy, mm-hmm. right? And this guy is, let me tell you, he is, right? <laughs> and I didn't say a. He's. He. He. I shook my. He shook my hand. We started talking. I think I asked one question, and I just. And I, he was answer, answer, answer. And if I didn't understand something, I'd, answer, I'd ask a question. I offered none of my opinions and none of my theories because this guy knows so much more than me. I need to shut up and learn.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. Right? And so the ability to, to, to read a room and quickly assess, am I in service or do I need to shut up and learn? But you've got to be a student, which means you've got to seek out those environments. Because if you're not learning, you're dying.
1: Yeah. And I I love that. Like sometimes you just, and it's really hard to be the stupidest person in the room, especially teachers who are so used to teaching, teaching, teaching.
2: And and remember, remember, what got you there won't, what got you here won't get you there. You got to that position because you're a great teacher. Now you're a director. You're no longer a teacher. So I don't get, I don't care if you were the world's best teacher, you're not the world's best director. So literally, Your ego of how good you were at another job, and by the way, it goes the other way around. You could have been a very mediocre teacher, and you could be the world's best director. Your ability to do something and your ability to lead others to do something are not the same thing. Like Tommy Lasorda was a very so-so ball player, but he was a fantastic coach. Isaiah Thomas was a fantastic player. He was a terrible coach. Your ability to do something and your ability to lead others to do something are complete, they have nothing to do with each other. Nothing. In fact, I guarantee you, if I were to ask all your teachers, which teacher do you trust the most, and which teacher do you believe has your back more than any of the other teachers, the person that everyone will point to may not be your best teacher, but they are your best natural leader. Totally say,
1: right about that, yeah. yeah. But if I
2: say which teacher gets the best results every mm-hmm. year and has the most beautiful newsletter and the most beautiful this, they will also all point to the same person, and that is not necessarily the person they will trust the most. So wow. high performance and high trust are not necessarily the same thing. And the problem is if we only promote the performers, that's called a toxic leader.
1: And and this is a great action step for directors to really take a deep look at who who does get promoted, who does, who is valued in your eyes. Even if you don't verbally say it, who's valued in your eyes? Like when you think of your teachers, who do you think as your superstars? Are they the ones that are trustworthy and, and take more risks?
2: Yes and, right. there's a problem with that, with that line of thinking. Okay. So I went to visit Fort Benning where the army rangers trains soldiers to become rangers, right? Okay. And they had a problem that they discovered, which is they had guys who were unbelievably high performers. The instructors loved them and thought they were amazing. Okay. But they called them spotlight rangers because as soon as the spotlight was turned off and the instructor wasn't there, All the other rangers hated them. So the problem is, how do you know who they are? Because they manage up extremely well, and the directors love them. Oh, yeah. But the problem is, what happens when the spotlight's turned off? Mm. So the army rangers developed a peer review process where the rangers review each other, and then the data goes to the instructor. Mm. And for them to advance in the organization, you have to pass three things, and they're weighted equally. You have to pass skills, which is, do you do your job well? You have to pass spots, which is, does the instructor think you're good at your job? And you have to pass peer reviews. And if you don't pass all three, you don't advance. So what your peers think about you is weighted equally as your performance and what your director thinks about you. So the question is, do you even have a system of peer review inside your schools? In other words, does the director know what the other teachers think about you? No. It's not used for promotion, it's used for feedback. So the director can walk into a teacher and be like, "Hey, all the other teachers think you're really, really stubborn. I want you to know that."
3: Wow,
1: and and you know what? This is really hard because most preschool direct uh, teachers are also female. We're very emotional. We start crying right away. Like I'll go into school and like there's always one teacher crying that day. Always, at least one is like average. So like, and again, like if the director would come over and say that to a teacher, she'd be like. Oh my God, people think I'm like, she's literally
2: like water work. So, okay. Remember, it's about environment. It's about safe environment. We yeah. have, in our 360,
3: sure.
2: we have plenty of crying. Really? Plenty of crying.
3: And you're fine
2: with it? Like, what? Of course. Why wouldn't I be fine with it? Do right. I want people to put on airs? Okay. Of course I'm fine with it. If Some people are more sensitive than others. Let me okay. tell you, some people well up when they get positive feedback because it's overwhelming. Yeah, and
3: it's, Yeah. And sure.
2: like people well up when they're being given negative feedback because it's hard to hear the truth because <laughs> the reason they're crying is not because they're offended the reason they're crying is because it's true yeah
3: and it's painful
2: and it's painful because if you cry if, if if somebody's if somebody's telling you something that you know is not true you're not crying
1: no no it's
2: true right Because the reason you're crying is because you recognize that showing up in school is probably showing up with your spouse or your kids or your friends or you've heard it before or you had a fight or you lost a relationship because they accused you of this and you didn't believe them and it's still there. It's true. That's why you're crying. And so – if it's a safe environment where you're responding to it, the point is, is we got your back. That's the point. We're giving you this feedback so that you're aware that this happen, is happening. But we're not telling you to yell at you. We're telling you because we're here to help you grow. I'm fine. I think tears are wonderful. If it, if, it, if it has that much of an emotional impact on somebody, I'd much rather they cry than get defensive.
3: Sure.
1: Yeah, so when you're giving that feedback, you're not just saying, oh, I just want to let you know everyone thinks that you're like really stubborn and, you know, I don't know what an ass. I'm
2: worried about you.
1: Yeah. Like, how can I help you? What can I do? What's going on
2: in your life? Everybody says that you're showing up. It says, not everybody. That's not fair.
3: Right.
2: Too many people have recognized, not that it's, you never say like, you're a liar. You'd never say that to somebody. You say, you lied. You criticize the action, not the person.
3: Okay.
2: So I I made a mistake. I shouldn't say you're stubborn. That's not fair. That's an accusation. We'd say, you act stubbornly right yeah Very so different. we want we, we it's okay to criticize actions we don't want to criticize the person right like you know uh uh you, you're an ass how about you really acted like an ass the other day right right so absolutely criticize actions because we can fix our actions but when you criticize somebody it's uh, what do you expect for them of course they're going to get defensive what do you expect? just attack them yeah so th- again we would know this if we taught how to give and receive feedback, but we don't teach how to give and receive feedback. There are right. books in classes. You don't even have to hire. If you, Oh, well, we're resource constrained. Buy a book, <laughs> assign it to somebody who's – let somebody volunteer who's actually interested in the subject to read the book and teach us what the book says. Sure. Each teacher can take responsibility to teach the other teachers what they're learning. Like, oh, that's you, so like, great. You don't have to invent the wheel here. All this yeah. stuff has been written about by somebody else. Yeah. I just
1: assigned one of the assistant directors, actually, that I work with to read the book uh, from David, uh, Turn the Ship Around. I was like, uh, I want you to read this book, and I want you to take all his questions that he has on how to get feedback and exactly. discuss it with your team. So last night, she just sent me a screenshot of one of the pages. She's like, okay, this is the exercise I'm doing at my next staff meeting. So
2: And David's, and David's stuff is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of my favorite books?
1: Yes. Yeah, please tell us some of the resources that you would recommend.
2: So there's a book called, first of all, everybody should read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Essential reading for anybody who's gets started in teaching or direct, like if you're not reading, it's this big, you can read it in, in an hour. Yes. But everybody has to start there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One of my favorite books is, uh, how to talk to kids so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. Yes. It's a bright yellow book. I'm sure you've all read it. But yes. here's the thing. <laughs> I, I assign that book in companies. Really? Because, because all the techniques work exactly the same for adults.
3: Really?
1: That's so interesting. Yes. Every teacher read that book, and there's a new one now on how to talk to little kids.
2: Okay, you know? so when, when, when a kid uh, is in pain, is crying, what do we say? We affirm their feelings. I understand you're upset. So when somebody, so when an adult is screaming, you'll be like, get over it, grow up,
3: grow up,
2: why not saying, oh my God, I understand how you must feel. Why don't we affirm an adult's feelings, but we affirm a child's feelings. They're both people. Yes. Just because an adult has a more developed rational brain doesn't mean that their emotional brain withered away. Yes. So that book is absolutely spectacular. For how to talk to adults.
1: <laughs> Great. And what are some um, either like websites or um, or just some other resources where directors can go to be more students of leadership? Because I find that they, they do want to go; they just don't know where
2: sure. which direction. Yeah. So, so on our website, startwithwhy.com, Yes. We have plenty of resources. We've got all okay. kinds of uh, uh, videos and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, and if you find somebody you like. Um, what I would recommend is go to Amazon, type in the book that you've already read that you really like, and see the other books that people who bought that book what they bought. Mm,
1: that's a good idea. I like that.
2: You know, um, um, or if you Google that person, uh, you know, go go see what else they've done. But but uh, like that's I mean, what do you do when you're a student? You do research,
3: right?
2: You know, so I mean, these are things we do. I mean, that's what a student of leadership will do. They do research. Yeah. And the most, important thing, the most important thing is if you're gonna be a student, you gotta share what you learn. It's, it's okay. incredibly selfish. It's incredibly selfish. And when I say share what you learn, I don't just mean with your fellow teachers, I mean with other schools. Okay. So when I first met Bob Chapman and his amazing company, and I went to visit their factories and saw this incredible company, and they were bragging to me about all these things and these communications courses and all these things that, and they've got you know 6,000 people who love coming to work, blah, 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 and they went on and on and on. And they expected me to like gush all over them. And the first thing I said to them is you may be the most selfish company I've ever met. And they went, what? They said, I said, you've developed all these amazing techniques. You've developed all these amazing classes. You've developed this amazing corporate culture and yet you share it with nobody else. You selfish bastards. Like there's millions and millions and millions of people who hate going to work every day. And Oh, congratulations. 6,000 are really happy. And so they were so struck by that, that they started an entire Institute to share everything they're learning. You can now go take one of Barry Waymiller's communications courses. Oh, great. Bob Chapman wrote a book called Everybody Matters. There's another book you can read, Everybody Matters, okay. based on what he's done at Barry Waymiller. So they're now sharing what they learn with the hope that other companies will make some of the changes that they've made. Sure.
1: And, and, and you know, the last, the, the last piece that are in the resources that I want to go over is don't get stuck on just studying leadership in education because
3: – don't
1: Look for thought leadership in other areas. Like whenever I give a director the book about, you know, David's book, they're like, why are you giving me a book about the Navy? I'm an educator. I'm like, read it. Just freaking read it. And the
2: reason is, the reason is people are people.
1: Okay. And the problem
2: is, and, and what we learned on how to lead people, we can learn from anywhere. Yeah. And the problem is, is when we only read from our own experts in our own uh, industry, it's the same six ideas, you know, regurgitated in a different way, a thousand times. It's stuff you either know or it's not that new. Yeah. Um, So I think that the real genius is looking to, uh, uh, to move it from one place to another. Mm -hmm. I do the same thing. Like who knew that I would be a student of leadership from learning about it in all these crazy places that I do, you know, including from teachers. You know, I'm learning stuff from preschool teachers on how to be a leader. Huh? You know? So, that's the point. Yeah, absolutely read a, a, a book about the Navy because it happens to be David Marquet's book is an astonishing good book on how to turn a culture around in any organization. Yeah. Especially if you have 150 people or fewer, that's really the sweet spot. Yeah. If your organization is within 150 people, David Marquet's book is literally a br- a blueprint. So why wouldn't you read it?
3: Yeah.
1: And also- course on on Simon's website, Simon has a course start with why. I actually just uh, got an accountability partner. I'm working with another director. We're doing it together. Um, Very, very powerful, great course just for you as the director to take you on this journey. Simon has these great questions that get you do this like gut-wrenching work of like, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Oh my gosh, this is like, wow, I'm really like, It, it just, it again, you want to switch that culture in your school. It starts with you. So very powerful. So Simon, bringing everything here full, full circle and all the different strategies that you share with the directors, the different um, approaches to take, what would be a challenge that you can give our leaders to start and, and, you know, and just embarking upon this new journey of being a student of leadership?
2: I'll leave you with one final story. Okay. Which, is, which is Nelson Mandela is, uh, was a special leader because he was universally regarded as a great leader. You know, different nations think of different people as good or bad, right? Uh-huh. But Nelson Mandela was universally around the world regarded as a great leader. So he was actually the son of a tribal chief. And he was asked once, how did you learn to be a great leader? And he responded, um, I remember going to tribal meetings with my father and I remember two things. They always sat in a circle. And my father was always the last to speak. So, then, so here's the challenge for all your directors
3: okay.
2: you are not allowed to speak in meetings until the end. So here's what we often do in a meeting we, an elite director comes and says, OK, guys, here's the agenda, here's the thing, I have some ideas, so let me tell you my ideas, but I'm interested in your feedback. <laughs> Too late. You've either biased the room or you didn't let anybody feel that they contributed. And so you can ask, as people are talking, you can ask clarifying questions, but you may not give away whether you agree or disagree. Even though you may think somebody is an idiot, you have to ask questions to, not to prove that they're wrong, or but to try and understand, this is a good listening skill, try to understand the reason they would have that opinion. Huh. What's, what's motivating that thought, right? Yeah. The challenge I have for directors is from now on, every meeting you have, you will be the last to speak, which includes the agenda. You hand the agenda to somebody to the left of you and say, I'd like you to run the meeting today.
1: Wow. So like really not talking. Wow.
2: If you go work for the company Chanel, if you get uh, hired as a senior leader at Chanel, I can't remember if it's uh, 30 days or 90 days. I'm pretty sure it's 90 days. But if you get hired as a brand new senior leader at Chanel, you're not allowed to speak in meetings for the first 90 days. And their reason is, is we know you're smart. We hired you. You don't need to prove anything to us. Shut up and learn.
3: Oh my God. I love
2: this. So new, wow. new, new senior hires aren't allowed to speak in meetings.
3: Wow. It's just wonderful. be quiet.
1: And you know, the thing is like, you know, as a parent, I have three little kids. And the more I learn to just shut up and not talk when I'm with them, the more I learn about them. And the more I learn about how can I make their lives better. So. The, greatest,
2: the greatest lesson I've learned in my own leadership journey yes. is how to be comfortable in uncomfortable silence. So if the room goes completely quiet, it's uncomfortable, and I don't break it. Because usually the leader will take the responsibility to break the uncomfortable silence, and I will just sit there, and I will just revel in the tension, and someone will speak. And I don't care how long it takes. I've stood on stages where I go, are there any questions? And it's quiet. And I don't go, okay, well, here's... A-. I just shut up. I just wait.
3: Wow. It's
2: so uncomfortable that somebody... We'll ask a question. Wow. So, the, so one of the challenges you can have as a leader yeah. is learn to get comfortable with uncomfortable silence.
1: And that's really hard. Yeah. That's really hard to just shush because the immediate thing is to jump in and, and, and get everything, you know,
2: just. Build a space, advance the thing. And, you yeah. know, we talked about it before. Learn timing. Feedback is great, but not necessarily, but you have to figure out when you're giving feedback. To give negative feedback after somebody's done teaching is just mean. Give them, and, and all the positive, give them all the positive feedback. You're great. I saw you do this. I loved how the kids responded to this. My God, you're amazing.
1: And then shut after that. Like that's, that's the conversation.
2: It's over. Especially if you're going to add but to something. He's like, blah, 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 oh. but. Well, then why, you know, you just negated everything you just said. So, like I said, I believe the positive feedback, the next, unless it's personal, in which case you do it in a, in a respectful way,
3: sure.
2: but if it's just academic, then why not have it in a group setting so everybody can hear the results? Um, okay, guys, this week I sat in in all of your classrooms and overall really, really happy with where we're going. Few notes on where I think we can improve as teachers. Let me just go through the notes. Uh, Stacy, uh, I noticed this happened in your classroom. Um, pay attention. I have some ideas how you might want to fix it if you're open to them, but you probably know what to do. You know, take that. Uh, Julie, I noticed this was happening in your class. Just let it, just go through it all just like notes. Because they like- are notes.
1: If you're not plugging it at the piece, and that's the hardest piece because we immediately get defensive.
2: And we make a big deal out of it. We walk in and be like, so I need to have a conversation with you. It's not, it's not, it's not like nobody, nobody committed a crime. Like it's really just, it's just notes on how to improve.
3: Yeah.
2: We're all open to that if it's done in a respectful and proper manner. So like I said, Spend the day, go sit in everybody's classroom, catch everybody doing things right, look for everything that you're doing right, make the notes that you want to give at the end of the week, bring the entire classroom into the, uh, the entire school into a meeting and go through your notes. Wow. So, and do that and do it monthly. Yes,
1: they do it already. It's just doing it in a different way. And that's, you know, that's the power of, of being a student of leadership, learning from a different model of how it's done in other places, like exactly. not just looking at the early childhood space thank you so much for your time today thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us this has been wonderful
2: my pleasure
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Simon Sinek and I hope that you had a lot of insights and takeaways that you want to bring inside of your organization into your own leadership with your leadership team with your own you know, home life, whatever it is, I hope that you have taken something powerful and insightful for you. And Simon and I would love to hear from you. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please take a moment to share it on Instagram. It's at Hani Walshansky and at Simon Sinek. Um, you can tag us, share it, let other school leaders know about this really important and timeless conversation. Thank you again for joining me on the podcast and we look forward to hearing from you. you. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us. Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 11.30 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.